All right. Am I loud? Probably a little too loud, am I? <laughs> How do you go from that to, uh, to this? It's going 100 miles an hour. What a fun thing to worship our, our God, amen? We're in uh, chapter 3 of uh, Ecclesiastes tonight. I want you to ponder these quotations from two famous professors. Why shouldn't things be largely absurd, futile, and transitory? They are so, and we are so, and they are, and we are, very well together. That was from philosopher George Sanitaean. He taught at Harvard University from 1889 to 1912. Here's another quotation. There is no reason to suppose that a man's life has any more meaning than the life of the humblest insect that crawls from one annihilation to another. That was written by Joseph Wood Crunch, professor of English at Columbia University. Both of these were very brilliant in their fields, but I don't think anybody here would agree with what they wrote. We believe that something grander is involved in human life than mere transitory existence. I'm not an insect. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> If we as individuals are not unique, then we are not important. And if we're not important, then life has no meaning. And if life has no meaning, life isn't worth living. And that pretty much sums up my life before Christ. It had no meaning. And I went from one drunk to another drunk. And to another one drug to another drug. And I had a bumper sticker on my car, and it said, Everyone has to believe in something. I believe I'll have another beer. And I, for the life of me, I couldn't realize how, why I kept on getting pulled over in LA. <laughs> Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. And this is what Sol Solomon was getting at. He has given us four arguments proving that life is nothing more than grasping at broken soap bubbles and chasing after the wind. Solomon was too wise of a man to leave us with these arguments unresolved. First, he, he saw something above man, a God who was involved in time and who balanced life experiences. Then he saw something within man linked him to God. And that's eternity in our hearts that God has placed in each and every one of us. Thirdly, Solomon saw something ahead of man, the certainty of death. There's always something sure of. Taxes and death will get us all. Finally, he saw something around man. Problems, troubles, burdens of life. 
So the preacher asks us to look up, look within, look ahead, and look around. And to take in consideration time, eternity, death, and suffering. God uses these same factors keeping our lives from becoming monotonous, boring, and meaningless. We will look at three of these this evening as we look at Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Everything has a time, a special moment in time. As I was, uh, I'm pretty excited about this study. And this is an exciting chapter. And God really spoke to my heart because when we go through the scriptures, I've studied Ecclesiastes before. But in different moments in our life, God speaks to us in different ways. In new, new and exciting ways. And God really spoke to my heart. See, I've gone through it and I thought, oh, this is really great poetry. But God dug in and touched my core. And why should I be surprised? Because the word of God is living and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the vision of soul and spirit and to the bone and marrow and as a discerner of our hearts. See, God reaches in and cuts down to the core of what we're dealing with today in his word. And God is able to pierce each man's heart. Starting off in, uh, in Ecclesiastes, the first eight verses is like poetry. Fine, exquisite poetry. And I want us to read the first eight verses together, if you would. To everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to gain and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war, a time of peace. In the midst of Solomon's search, the preacher paused for reflection. God is mentioned eight times in this, this chapter alone, which tells me that Solomon was looking at things above the sun. That he was beginning to see things with meaning and with purpose. Verse 1 and 2 says, To the things there is a season... To everything there is a season and a time, everything, every purpose under heaven. And everything is just like all. All is all that all means. Well, you know the Greek lesson. And that's all that all means. Well, everything sort of fits right in there. Everything is everything and that's all that everything means. It means everything. Every man, every woman, every living, breathing creature has a span. And when it, within its duration, there are momentous events. 
there are moments in time. And man may see them as random happenings determined by the role of God's dice. But the Bible teaches that God has a chosen divine purpose for everything. And we may master many things in life. You may take up golf, you may pick up the guitar, you may take up yoga. And you may want to become great at something. And we take up hobbies and we do things with our life. But God numbers our days. And God is working His divine purpose in our life as we go about our tedious day. And as we grow in the Lord, we learn to recognize these divine moments. These what we call coincidences where we run into people and they need a hug or they need a word of advice or they need prayer. And uh, I was talking to... uh, our friend this afternoon that, uh, that wrote the book. Andy. Andrew. And Andrew says that, man, it's really funny. At each time that I was down at uh, the bookstore signing books, I got to lead somebody to the Lord. Well, it doesn't surprise me at all. Because God opens these doors in our life to share with other people. And we just think, wow. That was really cool. That was a coincidence. God is in control of every moment of our life. Each moment, God is God appointed. In Romans 8, Paul says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. See, I believe in that day when we see Jesus face to face, I believe we will, we will be blown away by how intricate God worked His plan and how intricate God's hand was in our life. Every moment, every day, down to the littlest detail, because that's what I see in God's Son. He did the will of the Father. And we also have a part to fulfill in the will of the Father. His plan here on earth. What is God's will? Well, he told the disciples when he gathered them together, he said, go out into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that's your and I's call, is to go out. We come in here and we get fat. But it's time to go out there and exercise. It's time to go out there and share the gospel. Share that hope. And from the moment of conversion, the moment that God gets your heart, you have a testimony. And we think, wow, I'm not worthy. I got nothing to share. No, you've got quite a bit. Because God's changing you. And if, you, and if you need a friend to remind you, you're not what you used to be. That all of us, God's purpose is that all be saved. And we have a grand part in telling the world 
about Jesus Christ. In this life, there are times and seasons. They are a regular part of our lives, no matter where you are, where you live. From before our birth into the moment of death, God is accomplishing His divine purposes in our life. Even when we don't always understand what He is doing, and most of the times we don't. We don't see His fingertips in our life. But God is still working through, through us, His people. It has been an exciting, enlightening time for me studying this book because I can look back and see God's hand in my life and how He's guided me and got me to this point in my life. You know, it's a journey. It's an adventure in God, and it's not always... Me and Farron was talking. It's not always fun when God puts us in the fire. But He's refining us through the trials and the testings of our faith. And I... And I hope one day that I'll be just like James and, uh, and Peter and appreciate all those times in the fire because he's perfecting us. See, a man can no more reverse the times and orders of planting and digging and planting and transplanting than he can alter the times he has fixed for his birth and his death. And we can exercise and we can take up exercise classes and we could diet and we could do things to change our life but God has a fixed moment for everything in our life to plant out of season is vanity and a farmer would tell you that's just plain dumb but in season it's good verse 3 goes a time to kill and a time to heal a time to break down and a time to build up the act of killing is a part of life under the sun. We embrace our sons and our, and, and our daughters and we send them off to war because we think it's right. There's a purpose. Human life was taken in war and in the execution of justice. Animals were sacrificed in the temple rituals. Sin brought death into the world. And I like how Solomon brought... Contrast here between, it's worth noting, killing, healing, breaking down, building up, often work hand in hand in God's kingdom. Because after killing, we have to embrace these soldiers that come home because they have healing to, to deal with. And it's not always scars on the outside that you can see. It's troubled hearts. And he uses the contrast of building, breaking down and building. Solomon would know this really well because you would have to break the old building down before you could build up again. And verse 4 goes, A time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. Solomon deals with man's emotions that we experience as we pass through life under the sun. Life alternates between tragedy and comedy. You always see those two masks, 
the smiling white face and the black frowning mask. There is a season for both, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing. Like David, I'd rather dance. When, when me and Joni were, were courting, I know she would hate, like me not to say this, but I took her dancing, and I took her dancing a lot. But she didn't tell me until after we got married. She'd get, Fritz, I have to say something. You can't dance. <laughs> I said, I can dance. I'm a dancer. She goes, I says, I'm a musician. <laughs> of course I can dance. She goes, you're a good guitar player. You can't dance. And I says, I beg to differ. And she goes, you've got no rhythm. <laughs> I says, I've got a lot of rhythm. She goes, yeah, but it's all in the wrong places. <laughs> I still dance. You know, there's a time of righteous dancing. And I really hope there's a, there comes a time when we can dance freely in the Lord. Not dirty dancing, but dancing freely like David did. And David danced before the, the altar of the Lord. And, and uh, you know, he didn't care who was watching. He just danced to please the Lord. The Bible speaks of victory. Victory of joy over mourning for those who have drawn close to God through Jesus Christ. Paul talked a lot about this. David wrote about it and he said in Psalms 30, he says, For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And I don't know where you're at. But we know that God will one day wipe away every tear. And there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for all the former things will all pass away. Amen? Amen. Verse 5 goes, A time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There are so many different interpretations of this verse. But I'm just going to take it for face value. And what it means to me. There's a time to clear the land. Joni should know this. She comes from a long line of stone gatherers. There's a time to clear the land and there's a time to gather stones to build. And see, in Israel, they don't have wood. They don't have a lot of trees. But one thing they do have is they got a lot of stones. And houses are built with stones. So I believe what Solomon was saying, there's a time to clear the land and there's a time to build. There is a time to show, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing. There is a time to show affection, and there is a time to withdraw. There is a time when love is pure. There is a time when it is not. 
Also, kissing and hugging in the Middle East are common. You meet somebody in the street and it's hugs and kisses. You think we're huggy and kissy here at Calvary Chapel. Should go to Israel. Can you imagine the, 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 the welcome crew out here at the door kissing you as you come through the door? A little too much. But I think what Solomon was saying is just as simple as saying, there's a time to say hello and there's a time to say goodbye. Verse 6 goes, A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. Getting and losing. A time to search and a time to give up and count your losses. A time to keep and a time to give away. I think this verse gives biblical authority to yard sales and garage sales. (laughs) Me and Joni's been doing a lot of throwing away. (laughs) Verse 7 goes, A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. You know, I wasn't really sure what Solomon was saying here. There is a time to tear what is sown. And there's a time to sow something that's been torn in our life. A time to keep silent and a time to speak. Sometimes we want to speak when we are unjustly criticized and when someone doesn't like your music, doesn't like the way you conduct your church service, And I've learned to stay silent in these moments. Not at first. I've been tempted to say something unkind, unedifying. But sometimes God wants to talk to to us through a stranger. And I found it really beneficial that I just keep silent and listen. Listen for a moment. Hear what they have to say. And to be honest with you, it's kept me out of a lot of heartache and a lot of apologies. But having said that, there's a time to speak up. Amen? I believe our country has stayed silent for so long that we've let them take God out of our schools. They have taken prayer out of our schools and the church kept silent. They legalized abortion, the slaughtering of newborn babies, and the church kept silent. And we've laid, and we've said not a word. We've elected officials because the church, those that call themselves evangelical Christians, did not go out and vote. And they kept silent. But that's okay. Because every detail, every moment is in God's hands. I just wished his judgment wasn't coming this soon. Because it's not going to look good on America. Verse 8 goes, A time to... Love and a time to hate, 
a time of war and a time of peace. I have a tendency to try to put all of these verses in a Christian context. But I forget that Solomon wasn't a Christian. He was a man of the world that had strayed away from God for a long time. And he was looking at life under the sun. He was looking at behavior that fluctuated between periods of love and hate. But I believe there's a Christian context to this. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 6. It's just the book right to your left. Proverbs chapter 6. Starting at verse 16. See, there's things that God hates. And there is a righteous hatred. And God hates sin. And I'm so thankful we have a God that hates the sin in our life that He's go to any lengths to take it out. And this is what Solomon says in Proverbs 6. These things the Lord hates. Yes, Seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to to evil, a false witness that speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. You and I need to hate sin as God hates sin. And we need to love the lost sinner as God loves the lost sinner. And that should move us with compassion to tell them about Jesus. A time of war, there is a time for war. I believe that fighting for justice and liberty is right. I believe what we did after 9-11 was the right thing to do. I believe Saddam Hussein was an evil man. He was slaughtering and murdering his own people. And it would have been a worse thing for us to keep silent and do nothing. And what we did was right. Going after wicked men and stopping them is the right thing to do. But I sure look forward to those times of peace. Amen. Verse 9 through 11 goes, What profit has the worker from that in which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are, be, are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in the hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. Solomon looks within. Is life worth living? This should sound familiar because this is the exact same verse that that Solomon used in chapter 1. Verse 3. But now... Solomon is looking things 
and brought them into a God perspective. Solomon gives us three answers why life is worth living. First, life is a gift from God. Amen? He no longer looked at life from only under the sun, but that life is a gift, and it is beautiful in its time. We may look at life at times and think, it's a strange gift. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes the the troubles and the trials are hard to bear. We see friends die. Maybe we uh, suffer illness. But it is God's gift just the same. And listen, my friend, if we believe and accept life as a gift and thank God for it, then we have a better attitude towards the burdens and trials that we go through. And we will not miss the blessings and the treasures that come our way. And I have seen over and over in the church where God is pouring out His blessings on us and people are being saved and lives are being changed and and marriages are being restored and lives is being turned right side up. And God is touching people. And I see people in ministry murmuring and complaining about their ministry and about the troubles they're going through and about this person and that person. And we miss the treasure before us. See, while we're complaining and bickering, angels are dancing in heaven over one soul that is saved. And a lot of times we miss the blessings right before us. Because God is moving. And don't think that when God is changing and touching lives, that there isn't a devil that's hopping mad and wants to destroy you. Because you're a witness. You're that light. And when you're shining the brightest, you have an enemy that wants to put that flame out. And like I said, I just hope I get to that that place in my life where just like Peter I can rejoice in these trials and know ah I got an enemy that's mad God's using me again and give him praise and give him glory see our outlook helps to determine outcome always second God has put eternity in our hearts amen Man can't run from God. God runs faster. Man's life is linked to eternity. We are linked to heaven by God. We all long for a new home, not built by man. And I hear about these pearly gates, and I hear about these streets of gold, and I hear about all these stones and these precious gems And I'll be honest with you, I could care less. Because these things never meant much to me. And I don't know what it's going to be like, but I do know it's going to be heavenly. Because I know who's going to meet me when I get there. The Lord's going to meet me with open arms. And He's the only one I want to see. Because he's the one that put eternity in my heart. And he goes on to say, 
except no one can find out the work of God that God does from beginning to end. And this must have really aggravated Solomon because he was a very smart man. He was the wisest and he knew it. He thought, if I can't figure it out, no one can. And he says, no one can figure this out. Solomon realized even he couldn't figure out the works of God. In Isaiah 55, God speaks to Isaiah and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even with man's great advances in knowledge and technology, we can't figure God out. And he knew that. Very often we have to confess, sometimes with a sigh, how little we know of him. Third, man's life can and should be enjoyed now. Verse 12 and 13 goes, I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat, drink, and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. The preacher hints at this in chapter 2, where he talks about who can enjoy, who can have an enjoyment without God. Instead of complaining about what we don't have, we need to give glory for what we do. And give God thanks. Now he says, rejoice and do good. Life is a gift from God. And there's nothing better. Verse 14 and 15 goes, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which has already been and what is to be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. It is important to understand what God has decided we can't change. We can't either add to it or subtract from it. It is foolish to fight against God who loves us. And gang, I, I think we, sometimes we forget just how much God really loves us. Our Father knows best. The proper attitude to have for us is to fear the Lord. And what is fear? It is just that. That needs to be our base in which we build everything is that righteous fear of a loving God. And it's not cringing at a slave master that wants to get us. It's that obedience of a child to a, parent, a loving parent. And I, I, there were times in my life when I would hear my mom say, Fritzy! And I'd know, oh, I'm in trouble now. And I had a fear. But you know, you look back and you say, man, she, she had my back. 
And that's that same loving that we should have for our Heavenly Father. If you and I have a fear for God, we need not fear anything else, for God is in control. And He loves us. Amen? In verse 15, Solomon goes on to say, That which is has already been, and that which should be has already been, and God requires an account of what is past. Solomon gives us assurance God is in control, and current events are just a replay of what has happened before in our past sins. God will deal with. If God is just, he will have to deal with injustice and sin. Verse 16 goes, Moreover, I saw under the sun, in the place of judgment, wickedness was there, and in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose, for every work. How can God be in control where there is such evil in the world? And I know I've been asked this so many times and I know I'm not the only one. How can God be just and a loving God when there's so much suffering in the world? How can God be a loving God when children are starving in the world? And when wickedness prosper and the righteous suffer. Because this, isn't the, la- this isn't, isn't the whole picture, gang. There's a day of reckoning that God will deal with sin of this world. God is working out His eternal purposes in and through the deeds of men. And it's hard for us to understand, but He's even working through the deeds of wicked men. And yes, God will judge the world at some day when history runs its course. And yes, God, God is judging us today. Verse 18 says, And I said in my heart concerning the condition of the sons of men, God tests them that they may see that they themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. In experiences of life, God is testing each and every one of us. Like fine metal refined in fire, God is testing us and refining us. The word Testing in the Hebrew means to sift, to winnow. And God is revealing what we are really made out of. He is sifting us. And I want to tell you a story about Peter. Because Peter said to the Lord, because Lord, even though they will reject you. Lord, I will die for you. And I'm going to put this in Fritz's vernacular here. And what Peter was saying, what the Lord was saying, oh, really? Really, Peter? You'll, you'll, you'll die for me, huh? 
goes, before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. Oh, by the way, Peter, the devil has asked for you. How'd you like to hear that? And the Lord said to Peter that he may sift you as wheat. And that must have made the hair on Peter's neck stand up. The the devil has asked for me. And the Lord said in in one way that he's going to let him sift you, Peter. And he goes, and when you return to yourself, gather the brethren. In other words, Peter, you're going to fail this testing. You're not going to do so good. And sometimes the Lord lets the enemy sift us. In verse 20, he goes on to say, All go to one place, and all from the dust, and all return to dust. Who knows the spirit of the sons of men, which goes upward, and the spirit of the animal, which goes down to the earth? So I perceive that nothing is better than that a man should rejoice in, in his own works, for that is his inheritance. For who can bring him to see what will happen to him after? Are we just like animals? Because this is, he brings up several times. In a lot of ways we are. At least in two we are. Sometimes we act like animals. But all die and all return to dust. And I have a friend at work that keeps asking me, I know my dog's going to heaven. And, <laughs> and I, don't, I don't know. But I know we're not the same. See, our, our little Fido is cute. And they lick our faces. And we think, oh, he loves me. Oh, look at him. He's going, oh, salt, 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 salt. Oh, salt, 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 salt. <laughs> my salt lick is here. But they have a body and a soul. But God made man that he could place his spirit in us. And we have body, soul, and spirit. And God has placed heaven in our hearts. We are not the same. We yearn to be where he is. Amen? We are made into the image of God. And let me tell you, since the fall, God has gone to great lengths to restore that relationship that we had with him in the beginning, in the garden with Adam. God sent us his only begotten son who died on the cross for our sins that we may have fellowship with him. And I tell you what, we're going to be new when we go into heaven. We're going to have new bodies. We're, we're, we're going to be brand new. No more aches and pains, no sorrows. But there's one person that won't change. Because we will see the lamb as it was slain. And Jesus will show us what it cost him to redeem you and me.
when we stand before him in that day. Our life is in God's hand and Solomon reminds us of this. Nobody knows what the future holds. Enjoy it while you can. There are no do-overs. Life is a gift from God. God is making us into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. And through that process, God is testing and shaping each and every one of us. Like a good potter. When a potter takes a pot, he checks its solicity by pulling it out of the fire and thumping it. If it sings... It's ready. If it thuds, it's put back in the fire. Our character of a person is checked by thumping. And God sometimes thumps you and me. Do we sing? Or do we thud? A lot of us thud and we get put back in the fire. James echoes the same sentiment. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that your testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Allow God, God allows tough situations in our lives in order to refine us and bring us closer to him, into that relationship with him. And I am grateful for the testing of the Lord. How do we respond when God thumps us? I want to read something for you. A newlywed couple was off on their honeymoon, and the father of the bride made reservations for the honeymoon suite of a nice five-star hotel as a generous gift to the young newlywed couple. As they arrived and checked into the honeymoon suite, they were immediately struck at how beautiful the room was. On the dresser, was a large bouquet of flowers right below a lovely chandelier, a complimentary gift basket set on a table as they entered in. This room was nice. I mean beautiful. But they noticed something was missing. There was no bed. As they looked across the room, at one corner of the room, they saw a couch. Looking more closely, they found a fold-out bed. They opened up the bed and found it very small, lumpy, hard, but at least they had a bed for the night. But that night, they were unable to get much rest. The next day, as they were checking out of the suite, the manager asked them with a big smile how they had liked their room. They said it was wonderful, but wondered why such a beautiful room would have no bed. The manager looked a little startled and said, Did you not go through the door? And he took them back to their room and through the door of the suite. Inside, there was a room with a bubbling sauna, a bottle of champagne on ice. Roses decorated the room. And in the center, rose petals on a heart-shaped bed. The honeymoon suite was spectacular. You see, they never entered into all that was prepared for them. They were satisfied just outside the door. And I thought, this is much like the church of Christ today. 
We're happy just outside the door, never completely entering in to the joy of the Lord. One step in, one step out. We get a little bit of joy and we get that nice feeling. Let's back out again. And I believe Solomon was saying to each and every one of us, enter in and enjoy all that the God has prepared for you. Do we sing or do we thud? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, I know you spoke to my heart. Lord, and you uh, opened my eyes. Lord, and I just thank you, Lord, that you are, uh, you've taken us so far. Lord, but you love us too much to leave us where we're at. That we have a long way to go. Glory to glory, Lord, you are taking us and you are molding us and you are shaping us. And Lord, and just like uh, Peter, that someday we would uh, glory in your trials and your testings, Lord. Lord, we just thank you. uh, Lord, that we will see you someday, real soon, sooner than we think. Lord, and we just thank you, Lord, uh, for this time that you've drawn us in this place. Lord, uh, be blessed in us. And Lord, uh, let this not begin here, Lord. Let it uh, begin here and, and continue out these doors, Lord, tonight. Lord, that you would send us with a testimony. Lord, that you would send us with hope of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen.
thank you for this time of fellowship. Lord, we just thank you that you've drawn us into this house. Lord, help and build us up. Lord, encourage our hearts. Lord, uh, use us in a mighty way, Lord, we pray. Lord, we need your spirit in these days. In Jesus' name, amen.